Welcome to Pod for Teacher. I'm Aaron Fitzpatrick. I'm Nate Langelli. And I'm Kristen Milanovic. Hi, everybody. Hey. Hello. Um, Once again, we are in our separate, cordoned off, uh, undisclosed locations. And by undisclosed, I mean we're we're in our bathrooms. Pod for Teacher t shirt. Very nice. I'm rocking it out. That's right. Um, we we certainly our, our our mini and humble pod studio and and the, the times that we had there. But uh, one day we will we will return triumphantly and 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 uh, when things are safe and normal again. But for now, here we are. Now, I've heard great things about the game we played last time. When I say that, I mean I told myself great things about the game after listening. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. Just something real fun and quick. A little slight variation. I'm going to play a sound, and I want you two to tell me if you can name that sound. It's not a movie clip. It's not a music song. It's not a song. It's just a sound. Are you ready? It's like a 10-second clip of a sound. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Here it is. I, I, I'm unsure what that is. I'm going to pass to Aaron. I'm going to say wild boar. (laughs) Okay. It is an animal, but not a wild boar. Are are you ready for this? You may be, you may be surprised because typically people, when they see this, they're like, oh, cute and cuddly. That, my friends, was a koala bear. Aw, I had no idea. (laughs) Definitely sounded like a warthog. I could see that. And now you know. And now no. I know. Not okay. so cute. Right? Not so cute, not so cuddly. Yeah. We can do. Always learning something in school. That's <laughs> it. Always learning something in school. So and this is, uh, you know, kind of a topic that we we had meant to, um, had been discussing and, and uh, had every intention of getting into for quite some time now, but just, you know, based on, um, you know, current events and uh, just, you know, meaningful conversations that need to take place. This, this was uh, this was a topic that we felt um, more than uh, deserved our attention on this episode of the podcast, especially after having more of a lighthearted welcome back episode last month. Yeah. And um, so and that's the topic of diversity and inclusion and inequality and, and how that impacts our, our students, our teachers and our world. Yeah, and I do think it's important, just like learning that that's the sound of a koala bear, that we um, all kind of have our preconceived notions and we're creatures of habit. And if we didn't expand our horizon, then we wouldn't learn anything. So in our schools, like we have people from all different um, walks of life, um, but in our differences make us who we are. And I like that. And it helps to make our staff, our community, everything um, have its own identity. Absolutely. So like in the midst of such polarization in our culture and society today, how do we celebrate diversity and foster inclusion? Well, we'll get right into it after this word from Red Hot Chili Peppers. All right, welcome back. 
Let's get right into it. The following research titled Diversity and Inclusive Teaching comes from the Center for Teaching and Assessment of Learning at the University of Delaware. Here's part of what it says. Teaching to engage diversity to include all learners and to seek equality or equity rather, is essential for preparing civically engaged adults and for creating a campus and society that recognizes the contributions of all people. Teaching for diversity refers to acknowledging a range of differences in the classroom. Teaching for inclusion signifies embracing difference. Teaching for equity allows the differences to transform the way we think, teach, learn, and act such that all experiences and ways of being are handled with fairness and justice. Three imperatives make it essential for us to actively practice teaching for diversity, inclusion, and equity. Those three things are, um, number one, differences in the central part of our history and current reality, dealing with human diversity and differential statuses intractable in America due to our na uh, national history of racism and tensions between individual freedom and the common good. Uh, number two, difference is an unstoppable part of our future. Classrooms are increasingly diverse and dem uh, demography assures that this trend will continue. And the third, diversity and inclusion improve teaching and learning. Uh, it doesn't get more uh, simple than that, right? People learn and enrich their abilities to think critically and creative creatively as they engage in conversations across differences, especially when all learners' abilities and attributes are embraced. So uh, Kristen, while I hope everyone agrees we need uh, acceptance and love, uh, it's difficult to, or is it difficult rather, to practically implement such an ideal? So it's interesting. In preparing for this podcast, I was doing some research. And um, what I wanted to share with all of you, which I think was a pretty neat um, thing, is that shell polymers in Manaka, um, they have what's being called, the, they're establishing a diversity and inclusion council. And I, let me let me rephrase that. I actually believe the DNI Council has been in existence for quite some time. But what they've done, they've now actually come to my classes and they've offered a competition for my students to create um, a DNI Council logo, which I thought was pretty neat. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. So um, I'm going to just read verbatim what the. Um, purpose is and the mission of the DNI Council from Shell Palmer's Manaka. The purpose of the DNI Council is to foster a diverse and an inclusive work environment within Shell Palmer's Manaka, promoting modeling and developing deep capability and in inclusive behaviors and appreciation of diversity through education and learning so that all employees can contribute to their full potential. Everyone has a role to play in creating the site's culture and the DNI Council will help equip each individual to that end. The DNI Council provides a common thread through personal experiences. So I thought that was pretty neat. So I was very excited to bring it to my to my students. But prior to doing that, I did a little bit of research. And according to niche.com, um, Freedom actually ranks number eight in Beaver County for diversity. And we have a population of 1,537 people, according to that uh, website, in a county of 100, approximately 167,000 people. So when I asked my students, when I proposed this, and I said, okay, the, here's diversity and inclusion, who knows what those two words mean? I read the purpose. I, the numbers of students who knew the definitions of those vocabulary words was very small, less than five. And I found that to be um, a little eye-opening. 
And so then when we came up with this topic, I was like, this is great because I'm really teaching a lot about this currently in the classroom and things that are important. I think it's really cool to be able to have the opportunity for students to be able to, you know, expand their horizons. Yeah, and when you're going, and when you're talking with Fitz about those three things that they mentioned, they're talking about diversity and difference. I think a lot of times maybe people focus on perhaps like ethnic or racial diversity, but there's diversity across the board and things that we need to be looking at, like socioeconomics, uh, gender differences, religious background differences. I think even just broadening that topic itself is important uh, for these discussions. And full disclaimer, I think. All of us are, you know, cognizant of the fact that each person we're kind of limited to. This isn't us telling us this is how we're going to fix the problem. Because, as from my perspective, I don't know what it's like to be a woman in this country, and Kristen has a much different perspective about women in this country. So I think it's important for us to understand, like, yeah, we all have our backgrounds, we all have our thoughts, but we're not like saying, oh, this will fix this. No, I, if I'm, I'm not going to tell women how they should do this to fix a problem, like, I should probably talk with them and say, oh, hey, how has this life been treated, like, right, and get these conversations going. And so I think it's a good disclaimer. It's like our purpose in all this is not to say, oh, we're going to fix these. No, our purpose right. is let's have discussions. Let's have conversations. How can we foster more openness and more? And so that's that was something that made me think about it when we were talking about yeah, this. I think that's perfect because as teachers in, in this district, I mean, you, you can't change the demographics of anywhere you are. Right. At, but there are things that we can do, like you're saying, as teachers, as you know, obviously we would hope to be role models and influencers in, in positive ways um, to create more inclusive learning environments. And this is really one of my first steps in doing that. But in, and again, it started with a logo, but it, it is now, um, you know, stemmed into a whole other process of where I'm hoping I'm getting students to think critically and, and move beyond that. Yeah. Well, our next resource is an article by the Washington Post titled, how our nation's growing racial diversity is changing our schools. This article specifically researched racial diversity in the United States. To explore the changing makeup of the nation's school districts, the Post measured diversity and integration using student race data from two years, 1995, I was 10 years old by the way, and 2017. The definition for diversity they used is a measure of the overall racial makeup of a school district. A district is considered diverse when no one, when no one race constitutes more than seventy-five percent of the school system's student body overall, and I'll point out that they also made the distinction that even if a district is diverse, that doesn't necessarily mean each school building in the district is integrated. And so, what they're saying is, even if you live in a diverse school district, the buildings themselves cannot be are not necessarily integrated. So, there still could be a lack of diversity within the buildings, even if you're in a diverse school district. So, hopefully, that makes sense. Um, it was, it was just a very interesting um, article and uh, like interactive map they had there. So here's some things that they found. In 1995, they said 45% of students lived in a diverse district. The rest lived in undiverse or extremely undiverse. And when they say un extremely undiverse, they mean that the dominant race is more than 90% in the school district. In 2017, though, you fast forward those 22 years, 66% of students lived in a diverse district, while about an equal decline in percentage of students living in extremely undiverse districts, and the percentage of those living in undiverse stayed relatively the same. In terms of integration, though, the Post only looked at diverse schools, okay? So we're talking about the 66%. That's what we're looking at here. So of those 66% living in diverse districts, 11 million students attended schools that were highly integrated, 10 million attended somewhat integrated, and almost 6 million, 5.8 million attended schools that weren't integrated. 
So again, they're living in a diverse school district, but the buildings themselves are not integrated. So they're still lacking in that diversity in their day-to-day -day interactions. And, they, and the article goes on to say, and they look at like housing and transportation as major obstacles to integration. That's what they're uh, getting at for part of it. Uh, districts that are newly diverse are also more likely to be integrated versus districts that were diverse back in 1995. So what they're saying is if they are already diverse way back, they're not really changing <laughs> today. But if you're newly diverse, then you're also more likely to be integrated. That's what they're trying to say. Um, but yeah. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, I mean, and, and you had mentioned some things that actually make up diversity and we can't change the demographics, but understanding things and how we can create. I know last year we had April English on from Cafe 116. And I think the delivery of that coffee and everything else is helping all of our student body become more interactive with one another, with mm -hmm. students of, of, you know, diverse diversity yeah. in that sense. Yeah, I agree. That's a great point. Um, in this article, they did, like I said, they have an interactive map with info of every district in the nation, and you can kind of zoom in and hover right. over your school district. And we can verify, but according to their findings, when I looked, clicked on our school district for freedom, we are extremely undiverse category. With, that means over 90% of the popula of our, our population is of one race. Okay. So with all that being said, Aaron, what, do you, are, what are we to make of these stats and this information? I think these trends are exciting. Um, I, I remember, um, and you and I were just having this conversation yesterday, that um, I, I remember sitting in a social studies classroom in fifth grade, and I remember my teacher told me that uh, in our lifetime, you know, like the, 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 and I can't remember the statistic. I mean, that was a long time ago. I think that was like 1995, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, yeah, around the age 10. Yeah, yeah. That was 95. Absolutely. Wow. What, just full circle here. Um, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a junior in high school. It, and, and, with, and with those extra years comes all that extra wisdom that we don't have yet. So. Right? Oh, you're great. Look at that diversity right there. <laughs> Um, but but my my teacher, Mr. Morelli, told me then, told our class then that by the, as as uh, years would progress and as we got to be older, that uh, you know the population in our country would look very different as, as we as we age. And I don't remember if he had put like I said st like specific uh, statistics or um, you know actual figures on that. But I remember at the time coming from a small town with very little diversity. That was a that was almost a shocking statement. It was a it was something that I you know I I never considered. I never thought of, and I didn't know anything about it at the time. You know, I mean, I was, you know, like you, you know, I was raised to like to treat everybody equally and and to be be kind to folks, and it didn't matter what they looked like or what they believed in or anything like that. But living your life, uh, you know, with those you know being taught a certain thing and then actually experiencing it yourself, I think are very very different things. Um, and because it's that experiential aspect that that really can kind of form uh, the basis of your um, I don't know your virtues, your values, whatever, and and just seeing the seeing the trends of of you know the districts are more likely to be diverse now than they were in 1995, and that the numbers are growing, or whatever. I, that's an exciting thing. I think we're, we're going to have the opportunity now, and our students are going to have the opportunity now to learn more about uh, people that are not like them as. Uh, you know, like pe people move around and, and populations become more diverse. And I think that's a fantastic thing. Two points that you made me think of talking about that. 
I like the whole experiential thing. I talk about this sometimes with students. We can get a lot of head knowledge, but until we actually practice it, I can say, I can read up and have all the knowledge in the world about being a terrific racquetball player, but if I never actually pick up a racket and step on the court, what's that do me, right? So like this idea of experiencing things, um, that's very important. And I think too, sometimes I'm, I, I'm, I can be guilty of this too. While we may not be in the most diverse location in terms of backgrounds, there still is diversity. Like, but am I consciously looking for, am I consciously going out of my way to say, hey, there are people who have different walks of life all around me all the time, yet maybe I'm not taking the time out of my day to get to know people that I come in contact with on a regular basis. And so I think sometimes like, well, we look for like major differences, could be um, religious differences, could be racial differences. But like I said, we, we even mentioned earlier, like socioeconomics, right? That, that's a difference. Um, so those sort of, that's what you got me thinking about, at least kind of talking about uh, what you what you experienced there back in 1995. It's a good year. <laughs> good year, yeah. Great. Good year. And I do. I, I think it's all important. I think the strategies that you know we are talking about to put into our own classrooms and the things that people are doing around the school will, will certainly help. And understanding our students is is part of it. And a lot of the lack of diversity or diversity education is by no fault of their own, right? Like you're saying, like the, the communities you grew up in were, were small and, and you know, had a lack of diversity. And sometimes you, you don't get that exposure or get that culture. And, and obviously we're now in a, in, you know, a different time where, you know, that's why field trips, in my opinion, are so important because students can get up and they can they can go other places outside of their town and they can see other folks and, and how things are working. And I'll never forget, we took my daughter. Um, she obviously we know that I, I have a cultural diversity, whereas I'm um, Serbian is my heritage and Emily participates in the Tamboritsans. And so we would take her, we've, you know, there's various tamboritz and groups within the Pittsburgh area. And the way Mike drives to the South side, I, I've never really understood it, but we go this interesting way, but where we go up this hill, um, she mentioned one day, like, mom, like, I really like those tents for the people that are camping when we're on our way to tamboritz ends. And I'm like, people camp like what like and it, it took me a minute and she was younger you know but obviously like these were homeless people that were living in these tents and meanwhile her perception of tent was camping so i mean even something as simple as that by by saying like i understand that this is the first time you've seen this and you know these people are actually pretty lucky that they have a tent um but this is where they they live and I'll never forget the look on her face when she was like, oh, uh, okay. Like, but again, something maybe not all students get a chance to see or experience. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I mean, that, that kind of brings, uh, brings me to this next point that um, like, just the importance of the awareness of socioeconomic diversity is basically what you're saying there. You know, it, it, like being aware of it is one thing um, being aware of you know any uh, implicit biases that you have um, and and things are really important when it comes to just kind of broadening your worldview a bit um, 
it also has an effect on students. I mean, uh, students' well-being and academic performance is uh, are, are basically the the results of of that uh, that awareness. Um, unlike right. unlike race or gender, that uh, socioeconomic uh, status may be difficult to detect. So, uh, teachers, for example, can provide active and inclusive uh, teaching methods that enable multiple modes of engagement and achievement and accessibility. Um, it's tough. I mean, uh, uh, back to the bias thing. Um, folks don't realize sometimes students, especially like the younger you are, um, whenever, you know, some things that uh, can be instilled in you at a young age or whatever, you don't realize that you might have um, unconscious attitudes or reactions or stereotypes and, and things uh, towards a specific uh, thing or, or, uh, or whatever, whatever that thing may be. Um, and, and until somebody either points it out to you, or you learn that, oh, you know, like I, I heard that from somebody or, you know, I, I read that in some uh, or on social media or, or, or something like that or whatever. Um, and a lot of times like higher education is something that that typically um, kind of broadens uh, that worldview a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's uh, we, we, we don't push necessarily for our students to go to college. I like would trade trade school and, and the workforce like they're every student has their own path. And um, and, and we need we need those kind of people to flourish uh, no matter what they decide to do. But, um, you know, it's like the experiences that they have can definitely uh, impact the, the biases that they that, that were maybe instilled in them um, when they were younger or that they picked up and didn't even realize. Um, yeah, I'll just jump in. I just wanted to say kind of going off that. Well, or back when I was just a clarification earlier, I said like we focus on like big differences. I put that word in quote because as we talk to people, people are really, we're really not we're not different. Right. When people are people and I think we associate heaviness with all these things. like as we get to know people more and more, we actually realize a lot more we have in common than what we have separate. And so unfortunately, we focus on what might be different about different people and say you know, at the end of the day, most people love their family. Most people want to take care of their kids. Most people want to like laugh and have fun, like that sort of stuff. And, and when you're talking about bias, sometimes people think, oh, I'm maybe I'm not discriminatory. Maybe I'm not this about different people that it gets me thinking, like if you're walking down the street, let's say you have kids, do you pull your kids closer to you if you see certain people versus other people? Is that an implicit bias, right? Or do you like keep your eyes focused on somebody longer than you would another person based on maybe the clothing that they're wearing? or other things like that. Those sort of things, I don't know if we're really conscious as we're living our day-to-day -day life, those, those sort of things, are we doing them, right? Are we like, we, we, we make these judgment calls and like how we interact and how we act with people. So I think that's a big thing, this implicit bias, because a lot of people would probably say, oh yeah, I'm not discriminatory, I'm not prejudiced. But if we really peel back those layers, like are there things that we do in our day-to-day -day being, like, huh, do I do it with everybody or is it just when I'm around different people that are, you know, not right. quite the same. Like, so I think that's a, a big one that I don't know if we really like, you know, deal with a lot. Yeah. I mean, and it's to the point where, I mean, like institutions typically now, even like they, they, they've, inst they've implemented diversity statements because they, they needed to, as an, as an institution kind of come out and say like, you know, we, we are, uh, we're an equal opportunity employer or, or an institution or whatever. Um, like we, we have one of those things too. Um, in our school district, like ours, ours reads like the Freedom Area School District is an equal opportunity educational institution, will not discriminate on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, and handicap in its activities, programs, or employment practices, as required by Title VI, Title IX, and Section 504. Um, 
you know, it's like representation of all humans is, uh, is, uh, you know, implicit in those, um, in, in those statements. And, and, you know, those, those types of statements are they kind of paved the way a little bit for like instructional practice as well and civil discourse, because, um, you know, once, once students and once once folks realize that you know like the world around them is changing and becoming a more diverse place, um, you know these things this these trends are taking place. People need to be not just comfortable, but they, they have to understand the world they live in. And you know the the world functions much better when people care about one another. I mean it's it's as simple as that. Like you you know a, a lack of understanding sometimes leads to those biases and, and fear and, and reactionary thinking. And, and, and that's just, um, you know, something that we as teachers can, can work into our lessons or, you know, like our, our discussions and things like that, because we are often the first people that our students experience in life outside of their families that might be able to bring to them or, or uh, kind of, you know, open the, the scope a little bit of, of a different worldview. And, and that's, a, that's a pretty significant role that we play, right? And, and I agree that the idea that as teachers, these are things that we can make sure we're focusing on, right? We have kids in our classroom with different socioeconomic backgrounds. We have kids that come from different walks of life. Are, and are we ourselves as educators making sure we don't have implicit biases, right? Maybe you hear a family name and all of a sudden you assume something because you had a bad experience with somebody. Like those sort of things can creep that's in. Right. Like that was my life. Like my, I have an older brother. He wasn't necessarily the best student. And when they heard my last name, I felt like I was, I was treated differently. And so even with the students here, like I have no idea who's related to who. And I do that like on purpose because I know what it felt like to be on that receiving end mm -hmm. and having people assume I was going to be a troublemaker or whatever, um, just based off of the family name. Yeah. And you're mentioning like diversity statements and the power that can be like as a, as a teacher, as a person, of a, like as an example, making these statements, making these claims to kind of validate the people who have different walks of life saying you matter too, right? Maybe somebody, when we'd say like in our, cause we, we mentioned the free, like our school districts, you know, equal opportunity, which is yeah. great. But in our classroom, do kids who have different backgrounds, do they feel that they have an equal opportunity, right? As our teachers, as teachers, are we like, hey, if you have a physical handicap, we acknowledge that. It's not like, I think sometimes we feel like we don't wanna talk about certain things, but then if we don't address it, let's say, if you have issues, if you have like any physical needs, let me know and I can address those for you. And like, you're validating them as a person, right? If you have this issue, if you're like, and so I think that's something that we don't, sometimes we say, well, we don't wanna offend or call out people, but it's not like you're calling out people when we're talking about these diversity statements. We're saying everybody from all walks of life are welcome in this classroom. If you have a question, if you have an issue, just come talk to me and we'll do the best we can, you know? And I think that can be a very powerful tool just to give somebody the confidence that they need as they're sitting in there in a group of 20, whatever kids it is, feeling out on the outside, right? Yep. And that I, I think, of, uh, sorry, Chris, I, that, I just, that just reminded me real quick of a, a yard sign I see a lot in my neighborhood. Um, and I, I live in a, a little bit more of an urban area, you know, like I, I live in, uh, I live in Pittsburgh, versus, you know, versus like our, our rural school district, and I see a lot of yard signs in my neighborhood, you know, that say, um, you know, no matter where you're from, or no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, we're glad you're our neighbor, and it, you know, and it's written in uh, I think like four or five different languages, and just even seeing that sign, just it's kind of like it's heartwarming, you know, you see that and you're like, this feels like what things should be like, 
this this is this is what being a neighbor is all about. This is what Mr. Rogers talked about. Mr. <laughs> um, Rogers City, right? So, but that's that's what it's all about. And just and just seeing like that, that just that's what your your point there, Nate, just made me think of was was those yard signs and how uh, people are paying attention to it and they're and they're 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 trying to foster that kind of environment and and uh, neighborly type of uh, you know like discourse. I think that's great. And kind of along that, some other important things that we as teachers can do in terms of um, bringing about, you know, uh, celebrating diversity, fostering inclusion is, are we having, do we have an inclusive classroom climate where all students feel supported, not just physically, but what about intellectually, academically? Are we meeting the needs? Are we allowing kids to explore, to express themselves? Um, are we making sure that kids who maybe are struggling academically, do they feel that they have an equal stake in the classroom as kids who are the quote unquote high flyers, right? Are we, or the kids who are the high flyers, quote unquote, do they feel as though they're being valued in an opinion or are they kind of being left to kind of figure it out on their own while we're folks like, so just having this classroom climate where not just academically, but you know, all backgrounds, if people feel comfortable sharing different religious beliefs in class, right? Are people comfortable sharing different political beliefs? Oh, don't even give me, they, I think poli like political differences, that is diversity, right? And can people, can we learn to hear other people of other backgrounds, other beliefs, um, not just in general, but also in our teaching strategies, right? Are we willing to kind of step out of the box? Are we willing to incorporate diverse teaching materials, right? Are we just sticking with, oh, we got this textbook, or this, are we trying to pull resources from different walks of life to try and open the eyes, open our eyes as teachers, but then also help open the eyes of students and say, okay, well, this is, I mean, this is the world. <laughs> Our world, sometimes we're very limited, right? If we think about it, how much of our life is spent in a very small geographic bubble? What percent of our life is lived on a very small footprint on this globe? It's a huge percent, right? And so just trying to think, like, sometimes we think that, that that is the world, and that's not the world. That's maybe our little bubble of it, right? But just maybe incorporating some of these different things. So, yeah, trying to have a more inclusive overall climate, but also just using different teaching strategies that kind of bring in and kind of build up uh, some of these issues as well. I think those are important things that we as teachers can have a big hand in. Yeah. yeah. And along with that too, we're celebrating diversity. The well, idea is yeah, absolutely. I was even going to say like current events too, like as we talk about that, and I think like the passing of George Floyd this past summer made us all aware that there's some, you know, you know, there's, there's racial bias and, and systemic racism that they're, you know, calling in into out into our country and it's something that we all need to be familiar with whether or not we're directly related to it or not so in your sense as and i i'm not going to cut you off but to talk about celebrating that diversity that's important yeah i think you're right because a lot of times i don't think we do it enough because i don't know why we don't do it enough maybe as people we we tend not to i don't maybe we get a little uncomfortable around things that we're not fully aware of or around often. Um, but I mean, just to go back to like when we were in school, imagine how many times do, we, do you remember like being told good job or being told, hey, I want to hear what you have to say and just how validating that is. And I think just celebrating the fact that people have different experiences. Um, some people come from very difficult backgrounds, home lives, right? Some people come from more uh, s uh, stable backgrounds or home lives in terms of finances, perhaps, or whatever it is. But it, it, everybody has a perspective. And I think as we get to learn from those perspectives and celebrate those differences, as, as, these, as these students leave high school, hopefully they're gonna 
help to you know foster you know culture yep. and society that is more welcoming and and embracing those sort of things. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, so yeah, with all that being said, it comes down to you know I guess if we want to make it don't want to sound too simplistic, we're all people, right? And so I think at, like I mentioned earlier, we all want to live life, right? Maybe we disagree on how to go the best way to go about it at times. Maybe we disagree on the best way that the government should do something or the school board should do something or a teacher should do something or a family should do like, but if we step back and say, we still want to most of, at the heart of it, most of us want people to survive, to thrive, right? We want our community to grow. We want to, we want to build up one another. And so like, if we can, if we can focus more, I think on what binds us together as opposed to, <laughs> focusing so much on what kind of tears us apart at times. I think just that, that little perspective, that little mind shift, I think can go a long way maybe in promoting more diversity, more inclusion, um, where more students feel like their voice is being heard and that their voice matters. Yeah, I agree. After the break, Nate and I will be talking with Spanish teacher Ruth Ann Goodson about the importance of diversity in less diverse areas. We'll also discuss some of her world travels and a club she hopes to create in our high school. Stick around. Pod for Teacher is brought to you by the hoverboard from Back to the Future 2. Who wouldn't love to glide over water and feel like the world is your oyster? Marty McFly made vests look cool and made non-motorized transportation just as exciting. We're now joined by another member of our illustrious foreign language department here at Freedom Miss Ruth Ann Goodson, uh, Senorita Goodson. <laughs> we just had um, in, in our last season, we had Senor Bowen. He was on a previous episode. He's a, he's a big listener, big fan of the pod. Um, not to date him or anything, but he was not only your mentor, but also your teacher. He was. He was my teacher. And I'm sure you have a lot of information. So I want to know off the bat, what is the best Bow story, the best Bowen story that you can think of because even if he listens, that's fine. You're not going to get in any trouble. There's no repercussions here. It's all, it's all fun. You know, he'll, he'll laugh. I'm sure. Oh, I don't know if I should say this, but <laughs> <laughs> I just, when I was a senior in high school, we did a trip to Spain and France uh, and he and his wife came as chaperones um, and they were pretty newly married for maybe two years, I think at the time around there. And the whole trip, she called him Craigie. And so everyone in our group, <laughs> Craigie, Craigie, the whole time, because we thought it was so funny. <laughs> I hope you realize I'm going to do that now. Every time I see him in the halls or walking around campus, I'm going to No, it was almost 20 years ago, so I don't know if he'll remember, but I do. <laughs> oh, man. That, 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 this is a game changer. Have you tried to, like, you, I think... I think it would catch him off guard if you out of the blue just did that, Ruth. And he would expect that from, from Nate or myself. Yeah, I, it, he would probably be shocked if I did that. <laughs> I really, and, and if anybody who, who knows our beloved Bo in here, you know, reach out to him and see if, if, if it affects him. Start calling him Craigie. He'd be like, hey. <laughs> really, we just try, like, we, we try to sprinkle these little, uh, these little Easter eggs into some of these episodes just to, just to make sure that our loyal five listeners are still listening <laughs> and, and, and to throw Griff under the bus. I still don't think he's listened to the previous episode. I keep asking him about it. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. And this is disheartening, but that's all right. I think, I think he'll, he'll, he'll get back on the, on the, the wagon here soon. 
Yeah, Griff, if you're listening, if you if you're hearing this, send us a text with the Santa emoji. <laughs> that's that's the test of the day. Okay. And we and we all know Baldwin. He stopped a long time ago. That's a that's that's a shame. We, we, <laughs> we miss him dearly. But let's. Uh, but but we digress. A um, little levity in a in a podcast of of very important conversation mm-hmm. to be had. Um, in this day and age, uh, so we've been talking about uh, diversity and inclusion and equality, um, uh, topics that uh, Ruth and I know you and I have talked about many, many times, and it's something that's near and dear to your heart. Um, do you think it's difficult for students, teachers, or communities at large to understand the importance of diversity if they grew up or live in a community that's lacking in that area? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think when you don't have opportunities to be surrounded by a diverse group of people, you you miss out on a lot. And it, I think it affects your, your vision of the world. I think, you know, it's almost sheltered, what I call it. It's in Freedom School District is very, very not diverse. We don't have a large group of of minorities in our school at all. And a lot of our kids grow up knowing little or no people that come from different backgrounds, different religions, different countries, or even just different regions of this country. So yeah, it has a, a negative effect, I think, on people. Well, you mentioned the world and you've had the opportunity to travel all over the world and even live with a host family in Costa Rica. So with that background, how have those experiences shaped your worldview? Well, you know, I, when I say to the kids here, um, we have poverty in the United States, absolutely. But I don't know that we can really witness what true poverty looks like until we see it in other countries. People that are living, you know, with the tin, tin sheets pushed together to make a little bit of a shelter and things like that. And just the luxury of space that we have here and things that we take for granted, Wi-Fi, um, hot water in our homes, things like that. When you go to other countries and see that, oh, it's not like that everywhere else, it opens your eyes. So when you were saying, so when we were having some technical issues earlier with uh, Fitzy's microphone stuff, that would be considered maybe a first world problem. Is that what you're trying to get at? Absolutely a first world problem. Or a difficulty. Okay. Yeah. Better perspective on (laughs) the hardships that we have. Yeah. Sure. Go ahead. Sorry. I remember, you know, my host family that I lived with in college, that was 2004. And I've kept in touch with them since and visited them several times since then. And I remember when I got my first apartment, after I got my first teaching job and I was talking to my host mother and I told her, I'm, I'm moving out, I'm getting my own place. And she said, well, why? Why would you do that? Um, people don't do that in a lot of other countries. The kids stay with the parents until they get married or something because people can't afford to live on their own. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned obviously like you you grew up here as well and then and returned to teach our, our next generation and things with that experience what i assume because you know growing up in an area with with little diversity like some of these things would have been like a maybe like a fish out of water experience for you the first time you went through that yourself like what, what were the what were some of the biggest surprises you kind of took away from 
um, your experience uh, with, with, with just world travel, but like specifically with your time, um, like living with a host family, different, like learning a different culture and such? It was definitely a culture shock. The first, I would say the first three days that I was there, um, I cried, believe it or not. <laughs> um, just all of a sudden not hearing any English and only Spanish. And it like takes your brain a little bit to catch up and, and really start internalizing everything that you're hearing. And I remember my host mother taking me to, it was like a bridal shower or something the first weekend that I was with them. And there were some kids there who would just walk up to me and stare at me because I looked different than everybody. You know, I have blonde hair, blue eyes, and and they would just stare at me and, and I felt very uncomfortable. Um, but once I opened up a little bit and started communicating with people, then it it got a lot, a lot better. But as far as being in the in the home, um, in Costa Rica, they have they call them suicide showers. There's a switch in there that you have to turn on for hot water, um, air quotes, hot water, because it doesn't, it's still not hot to me. My host mother would be like, oh, that's hot, that's hot. No, it's freezing, frigid cold. And that was very difficult to adjust to also. Hmm. I do remember, um, so like one of the, the most memorable takeaways I had, I, I actually was fortunate enough to, to travel with, uh, with Ruth Ann to Peru uh, a few years ago. And um, while we were we were there, uh, we had the opportunity to visit a school and, and talk to some teachers and some students, uh, elementary students, um, actually students, it kind of spanned the age range there. I mean, they, they, were, they were doing it all in this, in this very little school. And there was almost nothing more humbling than seeing like how much they could do with so little. I mean, and, and, I mean, as many amazing things that I learned and saw and experience on that trip. That's one that has stuck with me. And I think about it a lot. Um, you know, what, how positive those students were, how excited they were to see us, how, what those teachers were willing to show us. And, and just like the, the materials that they had, that they, they relied on donations and they like, they just didn't have much, but, um, you'll, you'll remember this. Cause I, I, you know, as soon as we got back, I mean, that was something that stuck with our students as well, that, you know, are used to the, the Wi-Fi and the devices and, you know, the, the first world problems and such or whatever. They remembered those students and they wanted to do something for them. Isn't that kind of like one of the biggest, uh, I don't know, one, one, I guess one of the biggest things that, like, that, that you hope that these students take, take from their experiences as well? If there's one thing that I would want them to take from their experiences traveling, it would be that. The school visits, the company that we use to travel with always incorporates some type of community visit in, in the trips that we do, um, that they do with, with students all over. And to me, that's the most important part of it. It's great to see the sites and the attractions and all of that and the beauty of the country, but to be able to sit down with the people and talk to the people and hear their stories, that has a, a lasting impact on us when we do that. And, and I remember the way it impacted those kids that went to Peru. Now be honest, how terrible of a chaperone was Fitzy? I, we got him. Come on. He was great. <laughs> he was great. I mean, the previous trip was with Mr. Atkinson. So Wait, are, you implying something? are you implying something? No, no. Mr. Atkinson was great too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but would you say, uh, you just made me think of this. 
this idea of sitting down and talking with people, I think that's something that we can just do in our own daily lives. Like how many, how many of us go out of our way just to talk to people that are even near us, right? We don't even have to go to another country, but like how many of us don't even take the time? There's people that are different socioeconomic backgrounds around us, people of different religious backgrounds even around us. It might not be as big as maybe going to another country, but I think you just maybe bring maybe think of a good point is, do we do that? Do we actually sit down and talk to people and just hear their stories? And maybe we just don't do that enough. Um, and with I that, wonder, go ahead. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I wonder if it if it is a cultural thing. You know, in in the United States, if you just walked up to a stranger on the street and started talking to them, they'll probably look at you a little funny, like, "What do you want from me?" Um, but when you go to another country, every experience that I've had traveling with the locals has been a positive one. They always want to talk to you and know where you're from and and why did you pick to come here? And, you know, just very curious and very excited to have us there. That's great. What, uh, what advice do you have for, for students about to transition into the next stage of their lives, like the ones that we get to teach every day, you know, in regards to better understanding people who are different than them or the world from which they came? I tell them to travel. If it, you know, if it's not financially feasible for you to do it out of the country, travel in the country. You can still, when you go to other states, other cities, other towns, you can still meet people from diverse backgrounds and gain that experience. Um, but travel, travel to me is one of the most important things that you can do for yourself. And if you do travel, make sure you have all your proper documentation so you don't get stuck in an airport somewhere, correct? Is that? Yes. And yeah. keep it on your person or locked up where it can't be <laughs> taken from you. Um, so with all that kind of as the context here, um, you're hoping to begin a diversity club here at Freedom. Um, so why don't you tell us, maybe you've already kind of hinted at it, some of, about the, its genesis um, and why diversity in particular? Well, you know, with all the events that happen over the summer with um, George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement and everything, I really started feeling like I want to do something to contribute, to educate, to open minds. Because freedom is, you know, not very diverse, I feel like our students lack some of the knowledge and about things like that. And I want to create a space where students can feel safe to come and talk about these things and learn about these things and, and hopefully grow as human beings. So it's being a foreign language teacher, you know, in, in a Spanish teacher, uh, and I have a lot of experience with the Spanish speaking community in, in the country and in my travels, it's just something that's very near and dear to my heart. That sounds great. So, um, it, it, the way the club would function, are you looking at more of like a, like you feel like just more discussion, like any presentations, like any, you know, guest speakers type of thing, round tables, like what do you have any, was there, you know, I, I know you're still brainstorming because it's still in the, in the process, but um, what do you, what do you have on the, the agenda so far? I would like to have a lot of discussion, open discussion. Um, but I do, you know, when it, it's, when we're able, I definitely want to have guest speakers come in. I think, you know, if these kids can't travel for whatever reason, um, then bring the experience to them and have people from diverse backgrounds come to the school and, and speak to them. So that's absolutely something that I want to incorporate into this. So I guess if you had to kind of boil it down to like 
I don't know if you want to say a mission statement or whatever, but what ultimately do you hope to achieve with the club? And as a side note, many potential obstacles that you foresee in making this club a reality. Um, I hope I hope to open students' minds to just maybe make them think a little bit more before they speak, before they react to things. Um, to maybe make them a little bit more sensitive to people who are different from them and understand that not everybody is like us, whoever us, you know, could be. And uh, do you see any potential obstacles to making that oh. come um, about? I knew there, I knew there well, was a second fine. part to that question. You're I just fine. couldn't remember what you said. Obstacle. I hate, with the heavy part. I hate you with the heavy part first. And then I like, yeah, this is, this is deep. Um, I, you know, I do worry that because we don't have a lot of of diversity in the school, that there may be some resistance with students in in keeping an open mind just about hearing what we have to say. Um, that's probably my biggest concern with this. Yeah, that's fair. And as we're talking, it just gets me thinking. I think this is. I don't know if people balance it properly or not, but there's nothing wrong with like, we want people to have pride in like who we are, right? And pride. Right. But the other, on the other side of the coin, we still need to be accepted and want to embrace the differences of other people. And so I think a lot of times we say, oh, you know, you need to broaden your horizon. Some people maybe get defensive and say, well, are you saying my culture is not good? And that's yeah. not the point at all. The point is no, we, we have pride in who we are. Like who we are is special, right? Everybody's unique, everybody has, but being able to kind of, open up our, you know, our, our minds a little bit to say, okay, hey, these people that are of different backgrounds are of different, where, whatever it is, okay, there's, there, we, we're all people, we can learn from each other. And so I think at times maybe that's, that can be an obstacle because when you start saying, oh, let's look at this other culture, some people, in my, in my experience, they tend to get a little defensive and maybe you're trying to imply like your culture's not, that's not the point at all. Right. So I don't know if that's just something that you made me think about here as we're talking about all these different, um, these different stories here. All right. And it's not trying to convince anyone to change their beliefs or yeah. or their opinions on anything. It's just to you know to help people understand that there are other belief systems, other opinions, and that's okay too. The important thing is that we can be respectful of one another and accepting that not everyone has the same beliefs and opinions as we do. That sounds great. Well, we we, all, we wish you uh, luck in uh, the the formation of the club, and and Thank we you. hear some uh, maybe we'll some, be able to update our, our our listeners sometime down the road with some with some progress. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's about time. <laughs> I've been waiting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things about doing this is like uh, as we seem to keep uh, picking picking interviews from our faculty, uh, like the, some of the ones that do listen to pay attention have, have been saying, and Ruth Ann's been on us for a while, like, hey, when are you gonna have me on the pod or whatever? And uh, it's like, hey, we, we have every intention of having you in the pod. We like, we need to, we, we have this topic in mind, we're gonna get to it, you know? So um, it, it was not for lack of want that, uh, that, it, that it took this long, but it was totally worth it. And we were so happy that you took the time to join us this morning. <laughs> Glad I could. The views and opinions expressed on Pod for Teacher are solely those of the authors and participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Freedom Area High School or the Freedom Area School District. Any account of this podcast without the written consent of the Commission on Presidential Debates is strictly prohibited.
That's all the time we have for today. Follow us on Twitter at pod for teacher. You can find me at a Fitzpatrick CJE. I'm at N Langelli. And I'm at K Milanovic. Please subscribe and leave a rating. If you like what you've heard, we like stars as much as zombies like brains. Also a Halloween, little Halloween uh, mm-hmm. reference in there. Um, Got it. Thanks. You're, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, reviews help us connect and um, help me more people find our podcast. Um, we'll leave you with this. Election day is November 3rd. Be sure to make a plan to vote. Due to the pandemic, some polling places have closed and others have consolidated. So if you're voting in person, be sure to look up your polling place ahead of time. You can visit vote.org or here in PA, you can visit votespa.com to find your polling place or anything else you need to help you perform your civic duty. Polls in Pennsylvania are open on election day from 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. As long as you're in line before 8 p.m., you will still be able to cast your ballot. So stay in line if you are in line before 8 p.m. If you're voting by mail in Pennsylvania, make sure you don't submit a naked ballot. That sounds scary, right? Uh, I I don't like that term. Right. No, I I think it's scary intentionally. I get it. Uh, Put your ballot in the privacy envelope and put that envelope in the postmarked envelope and then sign it. As long as your ballot is postmarked by 8 p.m. on election day and received by November 6th, three days after, your ballot will count. Again, Votes PA has all of that information for you and we'll put that link in the show notes. However you decide to vote, be safe and be well. We'll talk to you soon.